Welcome to episode 15 of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today we're going to talk about getting started with fermented foods in your home. So everything from fermented vegetables to dairy and how to incorporate it in a way that feels easy and not overwhelming. My name is Lisa, mom of six and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. I get this email a lot and DM where people say, where should I start? So you do all of these things in your kitchen, like make sourdough and ferment your vegetables and make yogurt. I'm just trying to transition out of getting takeout every night. Where do I even begin? I totally completely understand how this world of making food from scratch and fermenting is overwhelming. I remember whenever I first got married, cooking in general was new to me. I wasn't even near ready to start baking my own bread and fermenting sauerkraut. The place that I started was just by getting some recipes. I used to be subscribed to the Real Simple magazine. I remember they had an article where there was all these different recipes that you could create with the same ingredients. And I started there and just got a basic understanding of which herbs and spices taste good with which meats and how to cook a chicken properly. I didn't get into fermenting foods for probably two or three years into marriage. It took me a while to feel comfortable enough with the basic ingredients to even get to that point. The first place that I started incorporating fermented foods into our family was with dairy. So when Ruthie was about 18 months, I started learning about the benefits of raw milk. And lucky for me, there was a dairy right in our town, actually just about 10 miles north, but they delivered to our town that we lived in and they were awesome raw dairy. They also made raw cheese. And so it was really easy for me to find access to that. And I started making milk kefir. Now milk kefir is by far the easiest way to get started on incorporating fermented foods into your diet because literally all you do is take milk kefir grains, which you can get on Etsy. I actually used to sell my extras and now I just give them to the chickens because it's kind of became a hassle to package them up and mail them for the price that it was worth. But you can find them on Cultures for Health or Etsy. I'll leave some sources down below. I originally got mine, I believe off of eBay, but this was about nine or 10 years ago. And I haven't had to buy new kefir grains since because they multiply. So you start with a couple tablespoons and if you make it regularly within weeks, you will have double or triple that, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So you buy the kefir grains if they are already hydrated, which mine were. I just bought them from another person who was making them and selling them. So when I got them in the mail, they were ready to go. You put them in milk and you let the milk sit out. After it sits out, you strain it off and you have kefir. It really is that easy. I know that all of this stuff sounds really complicated and scary. And so I know a lot of people end up just buying kefir from the store. And I know store-bought kefir can't be the same as homemade because if it was, the bottles would explode when they're sitting there at the store. More on that later but I know that a lot is lost in not doing this process at home yourself. A few notes on homemade milk kefir. If you do buy the grains, they will have to adjust to your environment, especially after shipping. And so sometimes it does take a few batches before you're getting the thick, creamy milk kefir. 
that you might be used to at the store. Have patience with the process because once you get some good grains, you're going to have them in your home forever. Now the grains themselves, they're not actually grains. They're just a little clump, basically, that's how they look, of a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. So essentially when you put them into milk, they take the milk over with the good probiotics. If you don't have access to raw milk, you can totally make milk kefir with regular milk. The only thing that I advise against is using ultra pasteurized milk, which is typically what you will find with organic milk because there isn't as much of a demand for it. At least there wasn't. I would think there is now. They heat it a lot higher because it doesn't fly off the shelves as fast. They have to kill anything that would make it go bad. And so it's ultra pasteurized and the kefir grains don't really thrive in that environment. I I've also tried it with coconut milk. I do find that the grains aren't as healthy in that environment. So if you want to make it exclusively with coconut milk, you might run into an issue. But what I did was I would make it with coconut milk and then I would switch it back over to regular milk and continue in that on again, off again pattern. And it ended up, my grains were still really healthy. So that's another option if you want to be completely dairy free. But here's the thing about kefir. When it has been fermented for 24 hours, the sugar that's in the milk, which is called lactose, is pretty much gone. So if you're lactose intolerant, a lot of times people can tolerate milk kefir that's been fermented for a proper amount of time. Now, of course, talk with your physician. I'm not a doctor and I can only speak from things that I've heard around me from other people who've told me how this has helped them and their family, but go ahead and talk to your doctor. Now, if you are intolerant to casein, that is the protein in milk that won't be removed by fermenting it. So milk kefir, the first and easiest place to get started with fermenting in your own home. Get some milk, get some kefir grains, put those kefir grains in that milk and let it sit out. Now, if it is winter time, you might find that it takes it 48 hours to get to the level of sour that you want. And if it's summer, it might be done in 12. You'll know by the taste, if it's extremely sour, then you will want to stop the process by straining off the kefir grains and starting a new batch and consuming the one that you have. This is something that I used to be more by the book when I first started. I read the way that you were supposed to make it, the amount of time, and I'd set my timer, check back on it, strain it at the proper time. Now, I will sometimes, here in the winter when it's about 68 in our kitchen, if I'm not ready to consume the batch, so we still have some from a prior batch and I'm not ready to strain it off, I'll leave it on the counter for three or four days sometimes and it's always just fine now that's something that i've learned from experience and trial and error and so you might want to do your own research on that but i found that it always tastes fine in smoothies and it is still full of those probiotic benefits. I prefer to use raw milk because a lot of the enzymes that make milk digestible are damaged in the pasteurization process. I have a blog post all about this. If you go on my blog, farmhouseonmoon.com and search raw milk, you'll be able to find it there. But I probably will end up making a podcast episode exclusively on raw milk, but we've been only drinking raw milk for the last nine-ish years and we've loved it. So that's something I'll go in later, but that is what I use for Milk Keeper, but you don't have to. You can use regular store-bought milk to make Milk Kefir. Around the same time that I started doing Milk Kefir, I started getting into sourdough. Now that's the next fermented food that I started with, 
but I would say that vegetable fermentation is probably even easier if you're a bit overwhelmed with the whole thing. Get milk kefir going for a while, maybe try that for about a year, see how you feel with those added probiotics and the benefits you get from that, and then maybe branch out into veggies or sourdough. I did a whole podcast episode with my friend Stephanie about sourdough. We discussed how we like to use sourdough, and I also have tons of resources on the blog, but I'll just go over it briefly here in this one. Basically, the way sourdough works is you are fermenting grains. In my case, I make mine with a wheat flour. Lately, I've been using einkorn, but I find that my sourdough starter can switch back and forth. But what you are doing essentially is you are taking a grain that isn't all that digestible, which is why you find that a lot of people are really sensitive to grains in their diets and fermenting it. So you prepare the recipe ahead of time, allow it to sit, allow the sourdough to work its magic, and then the grains become fermented and more digestible. So it is a fermented food. Now, once you bake it, it isn't the probiotic benefit you're getting so much like you are with raw fermented veggies and milk kefir, but what you are getting is that the probiotics pre-digested some of that grain. So you're getting that benefit, but not so much the probiotics, if that makes sense. After I got real familiar with kefir and sourdough, I started incorporating fermented veggies. Now I have to tell you a little story. The first time I fermented veggies, I'd done a ton of research online. I got really overwhelmed because I found that there was ways you could do it with only salt. There was ways that you could add whey from your kefir. You could add a starter culture. I was so confused and overwhelmed that I made this huge batch of lacto-fermented salsa, and it probably was just fine to eat, but whenever I opened those jars and smelled it, I thought for sure I was going to kill my family, and I tossed it out. So I didn't touch fermented veggies again for a while after that. I was just gun-shy by the process. It just seemed really scary and like something that I could totally mess up. Until a few years later, I was reading, I believe it was the Body Ecology Diet book. It was while I was researching GAPS pretty heavily, and I was reading a lot of books just on gut health in general. And the Body Ecology Lady, let me remind myself who that even is. Ah yes, Donna Gates. She was adamant about consuming fermented foods. I learned all of the benefits and why it was so important to my diet. I remember her even telling a story in the book about how, or maybe it was her podcast, I don't remember. Something that she said, Donna Gates said, something about when she goes to a wedding and eats wedding cake, coming home and eating sauerkraut to help digest the bad foods, like the sugar. And that really made an impact on me, that consuming fermented foods as part of a normal diet, even if you're not eating perfectly all the time, which I definitely am not. We eat healthy at home, but we go out and about and I don't worry about it. But those fermented foods were going to help my body to digest even the bad foods. So I started making sauerkraut based on her recommendations. I also started making this coconut water kefir and I would go down to the Asian market in St. Louis, get a whole bunch of young coconuts. If you read the Body Ecology Diet, you'll be convinced that you need to make coconut water kefir. It was delicious, but the practice of going down to the city to get my young coconuts wasn't sustainable for me and I eventually 
stopped doing that. But what I did come out of that experience and that time of research was with a love of fermenting vegetables. I think I started by buying the Body Ecology Starter Culture. At the time, I really didn't understand that you could ferment with salt only, the salt in the vegetable. What she talked about in her book was that if you added a starter culture, you're basically jump-starting the process with some probiotics and you can buy starters, little packets to help that process along. But after getting familiar with the process, I stopped buying the packets and I started lacto-fermenting my vegetables. I just actually wrote a guide on my blog about this, and so I'm gonna read just a little bit from it just to help you understand what it is. Lacto-fermentation is the process of beneficial bacteria that are naturally occurring on vegetables and converting them to lactic acid. They are rich in probiotics and also delicious. So essentially what happens, and if you're a scientist and this explanation isn't to your standards, I completely understand. I'm sure I'll get some messages about this. But this is how I understand the process and it has served our family well for many, many years now of enjoying fermented foods. Salt, traditionally used to preserve things, stops the growth of bad bacteria. To ferment a vegetable, all you need is the vegetable and salt to keep bad things from growing to allow what is already in the vegetable that is good to take over. So you have the natural occurring bacteria on the vegetable. You want it to have the opportunity to take it over and provide all of these great probiotic benefits. But to keep the vegetable from just going moldy and bad, you have to introduce salt. For example, for sauerkraut, it is a vegetable that has a pretty high moisture content. You shred it up, massage it with salt, press it down into a jar and make sure that it is completely submerged below the brine. All of the veggies that are underneath that salt, the bacteria that is on them will just start to take it over and turn it into sauerkraut. Now, anything that slips above the brine will get moldy because it doesn't have the protection of being submerged under that salt brine. Now, to do this, you have to use a weight or a folded up cabbage leaf or a combination of the two just to keep it below that. But as long as that happens, you are in business for fermenting cabbage. Now, whenever I first started, I was looking into all of these airlock lids and all of these fancy tools. And again, I got overwhelmed because it seemed like there was a million different ways to do it. But the way that I do it now is how I just described to you. I do have some glass weights that I found online. I have them in my Amazon shop. So if you go to amazon.com slash shop slash farmhouse I have all of my fermenting tools in the kitchen section but you don't even have to have that. I used to just fold up a cabbage leaf, put it on top of the shredded cabbage and the brine, and then I would put some rocks I found outside in a Ziploc bag just to create some weight, but then keep the Ziploc bag as a barrier between the rocks and the cabbage. That was my weight, cover it with a little tea towel and allow it to sit out for about a week and thus sauerkraut happened and you don't really need any tools to do it. You can do it in a crock, you can do it in a half gallon mason jar, you can do it in a quart size if you wanna start small. To make other fermented veggies, if you're making something that doesn't have that high water content or you can't smash it down like you can sauerkraut and get that brine to come out, you cut the veggie up, let's say carrots in this instance. You can cut them, you can shred them, you can do them either way. You can even add shredded carrots to the cabbage. You dissolve some salt in the water and then you cover the vegetable with the brine. So for my carrots, for example, I do about a pound of carrots, four tablespoons of salt, 
and a half gallon mason jar full of water. I dissolve the four tablespoons of salt in a little bit of water and then dilute that with about a half gallon of water and then add it to a jar, cover it with that brine, use a fermenting weight to keep the carrots below the brine. That salt, again, inhibits the bad bacteria, allowing the good bacteria on the carrots that's already present to take over. So it's the same process as the cabbage, only it is just salt water instead of using the natural brine that happens from the juices of the cabbage. You can do that same process as I did for the carrots with cucumbers, with garlic, with jalapenos. That's one of me and Luke's favorite toppings for just about everything. If you have a jar of fermented jalapenos, it adds a probiotic kick, but then it also adds a spicy kick to really anything. The kids don't like it, so I put it on you know, at the table level, not on the whole dish. And we'll have that on nachos or burritos or anything. It's just so good. But the process is simple. It is salt water over vegetables, vegetables below the salt water with a weight. And then I use a mason top fermenting lid, but you could seriously just put a loose lid. So if you take a mason jar lid and just turn it once so that it doesn't get super tight and gas can still escape during the process, that works too. So either one totally works. And then you just allow it to sit out. Now pickles, they get mushy after a while, so I only do those about three days. So when I'm fermenting cucumbers, carrots, I leave out a lot longer. Some people leave sauerkraut out for months. Some people like the taste after a week. You can take the folded cabbage leaves off, taste a little bit, and then see how it tastes. And if you think it's too sour, you can put it in the fridge to stop that fermentation process. If it's not sour enough, you can leave it out. You'll get really comfortable with the process and it won't be so overwhelming. I've had people tell me they've had issues with their ferments molding. That is always an issue of it not being below the brine. So with cabbage, sometimes when you punch it down really, really tight into the jar and you pack it tight, Sometimes it'll expand back up a little bit, pushing the brine out, and then you're left with some dry cabbage on top. I will just go over during the process, so maybe day three, day four, see if it's dry and add a little filtered water to the top. I don't worry about adding any more salt or anything. I just add a little water and make sure that it stays submerged and that totally eliminates that problem of mold. Now with sauerkraut or any fermented vegetable, you can really add some flavor by adding peppercorns or whole bulbs of garlic. One thing that my sister and I have both tried and really loved is adding caraway seeds to cabbage. That tastes really good. She sometimes mixes carrots, cabbage, and caraway seeds. I haven't done that a whole lot, but that definitely makes for a tasty cultured food. Some other things that we've fermented, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly. My sister, Laura, and I, we both, when we were first getting into fermenting vegetables, wanted to try just about everything, and we both attempted fermenting butternut squash. That is not something I would ever try again. It was disgusting, absolutely terrible. So you can ferment anything, but I'm not saying that you necessarily should. One other, another thing that I really love to ferment is garden salsa. So in the summer, you have fresh tomatoes and peppers, jalapenos, onions, and cilantro in the garden. Lacto-fermented salsa is not only amazingly delicious, but also it preserves it. The only way to make something last more than a week, make a fresh salsa last more than a week, is canning or fermenting. If you ferment salsa, you can keep it in your refrigerator after the fermentation process. It will keep for three months. 
but that is a benefit of fermenting vegetables. It's another way to preserve the harvest. So if you're growing a whole bunch of cabbage in your garden, you can ferment it into sauerkraut, put it in your fridge, and it will last for a really long time, much longer than if you just cut up some fresh salsa or fresh cabbage, put it in your fridge, you're gonna be experiencing it spoiling within a week. We've kept sauerkraut for a lot longer, but tomatoes are something that goes bad a little bit more quickly, but still three months to preserve your garden harvest. You can take your September tomatoes and still be eating fresh salsa in the beginning of winter in December, which is such a great way to use up those garden tomatoes. Same goes for all those garden cucumbers. I know that pretty much the only way I can get my kids to eat a bunch of cucumbers from the garden is by transforming them into pickles by fermenting them. Some more ways that you can incorporate fermented foods into your diet are sour cream. I have a recipe for this on the blog. Essentially, I use a sour cream starter and ferment raw milk cream. Now, another way to do it, a friend of mine, she takes a little bit of her milk kefir and puts it into some cream or the milk kefir grains, either one either prepared milk kefir or the kefir grains, put them into some cream and ferments it that way. Now it won't have the exact same taste as regular sour cream. You might wanna use a sour cream starter specifically if you want it to have the exact same taste, but it will be fermented cream, sour cream, even if you use a starter culture that you already have around. So if you're fermenting milk kefir and you put some of those milk kefir grains in there, that is a great way to make a sour cream. Another thing to make that I do only seasonally, but when we're in the habit of doing it, my family absolutely loves it, and that is the homemade water kefir soda. So water kefir is similar, probably the most similar to kombucha. Water kefir is just a different strain of kefir grains. They are little clear looking globs. <laughs> if the milk kefir ones are little white globs, the water kefir ones are little clear ones. Essentially what you do with them is you ferment sugar water. I have a recipe on the blog, but the process is you take some sugar water, dissolve sugar into water, add water kefir grains. Now you can't do this with milk kefir grains, you have to use water kefir grains. Ferment that sugar water, and then you have water kefir. Now you can take that water kefir after you've strained it off from the water kefir grains, and you can do a second ferment with juice. So you take that prepared water kefir, add a little grape juice, put it into an airtight bottle. I use the flip top bottles. I usually just get some from Aldi that soda comes in and then pour out the soda and make this. Close it up with the grape juice and then after a few days, it will be nearly explosive. <laughs> now this is one that you might end up with a mess if you aren't used to making because if it's really hot in your house or you leave it too long, it's not one of those things you can just leave indefinitely like I do with a lot of my ferments. This one will, if it's in that airtight bottle, it is prone to exploding. Just ask my sister Lara and myself, we have both had it happen. If you are making water kefir soda and you have it in those airtight bottles, and you neglect it, um, yeah, you might end up with a mess in your kitchen. So that might be one for a little bit more once you get comfortable with the process of fermenting, but hey, if you're adventurous, just try it. Make sure nobody is standing nearby though when it explodes, that's not good. My sister actually, she was making the fermented coconut that she read about in the Body Ecology Diet, and one night in the middle of the night, they heard what sounded like a gunshot in their kitchen. 
and she ran out, obviously afraid. And she had her fermenting coconut yogurt in a container that was airtight and it exploded everywhere. Another thing that happened to me many years ago when I was making grape water kefir soda, it didn't explode, but when I went to open the top, it went so high that I had to repaint my kitchen ceiling. It was covered with grape soda. So we got used to opening the bottles outside just in case uh, the fermentation process got a little wild inside that jar. With water kefir grains, I don't make it year round. It's just a little bit of an extra process and it's not in my usual routine like milk kefir is. So I will just buy new water kefir grains at the start of the season. So coming up here in the summer, I'm probably gonna buy some and they will expand like crazy. So if you continue to make water kefir, you would not have to ever buy new grains. I just found that it was something that I wasn't doing in our usual routine. It was more just something I enjoyed seasonally. Another way to incorporate fermented foods for your family is by making homemade yogurt. I have the recipe on the blog, but the Instant Pot, it really takes all of the guesswork out of this. You can do it two different ways. You can, if you're getting raw milk, you can retain the raw, and I have a tutorial for that on the blog, but if you're making it with conventional milk or even raw milk and you wanna make conventional yogurt, you heat the milk on the saute function in the Instant Pot, and this is just to kill any competing bacteria that might compete with the yogurt starter culture. You allow it to get back down to about 120 degrees, add the starter culture, press the yogurt function, and then let it sit with the lid on. Some people do it for eight hours, some people go all the way to 24, to completely get rid of all of the lactose. Just depends on what you prefer. I definitely prefer the taste of the shorter ferment, but I know that the benefits are there of the longer ferment. So it depends on how well you can tolerate milk. The Instant Pot that I have, it will also be in my Amazon shop, the one that I have, but make sure to get one with the yogurt function because that thing is a game changer for making homemade yogurt. Another fermented food that a lot of home fermenters enjoy is kombucha. The process is similar to water kefir, but it involves fermenting tea. This is actually something that I have never done. I do want to eventually, but I'm already doing so many other fermented things in my home. It hasn't felt like something that I really wanted to explore into, but at some point I really do want to. It is just at the moment, not something I've tried. There are a lot of good resources online. Actually, a friend of mine, Michelle Visser, she also wrote a book published by the same company that I published my book with about maple syrup, but she has a kombucha ebook, so I will leave a link to that because she's a good resource for that if that is something you want to explore into. All right, I think I've covered all of the ways that I use fermented foods in my kitchen and how to get started. Don't get overwhelmed with this. Let this be something that you just start introducing your family to slowly. Another thing is if you're not really used to homemade fermented foods that are teeming with tons of probiotics, it can aggravate your stomach a little bit at first if you eat too much. So start slow, maybe do a little bit of milk kefir, make some smoothies, that's how we like to use milk kefir in our family. At first you might need to add a lot of bananas and honey because it's really sour, but it's an acquired taste. After a while you might just be adding frozen strawberries. My sister Lara, her favorite kefir recipe for a smoothie is adding frozen cranberries, lemon juice, and kefir, which just makes my mouth pucker up 
it is so sour. I personally don't like that, but she loves that sour taste. Me personally, I like to do frozen strawberries, frozen bananas, frozen blueberries. I actually have an ebook that I share my family's five favorite kefir smoothie recipes. You can get that at bit.ly slash farmhouse kefir smoothie. And that'll just be a good way to help you get started with wanting to incorporate kefir into your family. But after a while, you'll get used to that sour taste. It's a taste that I feel like we don't really experience much in our culture because we've gotten so far from fermenting our foods. But once you get used to it, it is a complex flavor that you can't really get anywhere else and you'll really fall in love with it. The store-bought fermented foods just aren't fermented long enough to give that flavor. When we have store-bought yogurt, it tastes like ice cream. I mean, not really, but it's way less sour than all things homemade and your guts will thank you for it. A lot of times people ask me a lot about how we stay well, what my strategies are for sickness. And this is my biggest one. A constant supply of fermented foods really will help your body and your immune system to fight off what goes around, especially during winter time. All right, well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really, really hope I've encouraged you to start incorporating fermented foods in your family. It does not have to be scary. I mean, fermented vegetables are salt plus water plus veggie. I promise it really is that easy. We enjoy them all the time and that is all I do. Milk kefir, so easy, you can totally do this. Go to my blog, I have recipes for everything I've mentioned. If you go to farmersonmoon.com, you search pickles, you'll get my fermented cucumber recipe. Now I realize it's not really a recipe because it's just salt water, but I do have the ratios of salt to water that I use for all of these things. I have my salsa recipe, I have my carrots, there is even a fermenting guide that I will link in the show notes, you can get all of these recipes or if you just go to farmhousehomemoon.com and you hover over the food from scratch in the main navigation, if you go down to fermented foods and click on that, they'll all be there as well. Make sure to grab my family's five favorite kefir smoothie recipes at bit.ly slash farmhouse kefir smoothie. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash farmhouse kefir smoothie, all one word. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast. Thank you.